You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. It's the Monday after the Super Bowl, and let's be honest, Super Bowl Sunday went exactly like we thought it would. That's my fault. You can't get them all right, Sarah. Like you can get some of them right, you know? It, it, it was uh, not our finest hour on Super Bowl Sunday as the game did not go. But the uh, the funniest part to me is, you know, we did the digital pregame show, Mike Golick Jr. and I did beforehand, and uh, Mina Kimes, Mike, and I all picked the Chiefs, and uh, one of our bosses in digital came in and said, we've really got to find somebody that will pick the Bucks somewhere because it felt like everybody across our platforms – was picking the Chiefs, and we were all wrong. I mean, this game was an absolute blowout. It was one of the the late least suspenseful Super Bowls I can remember in the last few years. It was just from early on. It felt like the Bucks were in control, and the the Chiefs were just absolutely chaotic. It never it never worked out for them. They got their butts kicked. It was an absolute beatdown, and I don't know what happened between. A couple years ago, when I stated with certainty on this very show, I believe it was Spain and Fitz's first iteration, when I said, I will never again pick against Tom Brady. How many times does the guy have to prove me wrong before I stop picking against him? I said that about him, and I said it about Aaron Rodgers. I said, I don't need to see any more Aaron Rodgers' last-minute Hail Mary passes against the Bears for me to ever pick against him again. I don't know why... I convinced myself that anything was different. This is a better team than Tom Brady has been on in the past. And I'll tell you what, I was getting ready for the game yesterday. I was prepping a whole bunch of delicious foods, listening to some pregame. And I heard someone say something that is so obvious and clear, but had not occurred to me as I was making my decision, which was simply that we have forgotten how often we talked about Tom Brady doing it without killer weapons, right? We only really talk about how the year he had Randy Moss and every other time he's dragging along these dudes that wouldn't be much of anything anywhere. And somehow in the last couple of years, I completely forgot about how many times we had that conversation and failed to look at the fact that Tom Brady had won that many Super Bowls on teams without superstars and was now lining up with Brady and Godwin, and A.B., and Fournette, and all of these weapons. I just, I don't know why I, 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 Fitz, why? I mean, I wasn't as bad as you. Like, you absolutely couldn't have been more wrong. Like, you, you. Wait, 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 win loss is win loss. We both lost our Super Bowl pick. Oh, oh, not even, I know, no, no, I had a game of it. I had a game of it and a six-point victory. Yeah, you it wasn't a game. It wasn't. You were wrong too. I mean, it was a I blowout. Was, I was wrong, but I said it was going to be about pressure, and it was just like, the opposite. That you were that's, right about. The, but and that's the part that also is is wild to me because that's really what ended up having me make the decision. I said. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL against pressure, QBR, touchdown interception rate, passes per att- or, uh, yards per attempt. Like when you pressure him, he figures it out. He can't be stopped even if you get the pressure on him. Tom Brady, on the other hand, that's the book on him. You get the interior pressure on him, his QBR goes down to 29th in the league. You know, I, I got all these stats to back me up. I know exactly what's going to happen. It was about pressure. It just didn't go the way I thought at all. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Our guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and 
You're right. Uh, there were a couple of really shocking things to me in this game, not just the outcome, but the way the outcome actually went down. Number one, I wasn't devaluing Tom Brady in the process. I was overvaluing, obviously, Patrick Mahomes' ability uh, to part the seas and make anything happen whenever. Uh, I, I think there were a couple of things here that really surprised me. One was the Bucks' ability not just to disrupt Mahomes, but to get after everybody. I mean, Tyreek Hill, we knew w- they were going to try and take Tyreek away. But the fact that they did that and then at the same time – Made Kelsey, who I know he ended up with a pretty good stat line, but it wasn't an impactful game for him. There were several catches. There, there were several times that they needed Travis Kelsey to come up with the play, and it just wasn't there. The other thing that surprised me when you talk about pressure is that the Chiefs defense dialed up None of it. I mean, the Chiefs defense looked lost and inept throughout much of the game. Uh, We'll talk about the penalties over the course of the night, but they were stepping on themselves throughout this game, and it just felt like in the second quarter particularly, the Chiefs, I kept waiting for that moment where the light was going to go off. They were going to wake up, and they were going to say, oh, yeah, this is is the Super Bowl. we got to do this. It never happened. It never looked easy for them on either side of the ball, and it just looked like a Chiefs team that was just, frankly, out of sync. A lot of credit to Tampa Bay to make that happen. I just never would have imagined that they would have no ability to make Tom Brady uncomfortable. And then on the flip side of it, that even when Mahomes was running around trying to be Superman, that nobody was going to be able to get open to do it. A young secondary for Tampa Bay really showed up in this game. Yeah, one of the things we did in um, uh, Good Take or Hot Take on Friday, you remember someone was saying the Kansas City defense has been underappreciated, not talked about enough, and they're going to show everyone how great they are. I think that was not the case. It was absolutely inventive and intelligent and 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 creative play calling from Byron Leftwich. And, you know, we talk about how smart Tom Brady is, but, but earlier in the season there was a lot of here's the book on him. Look, the Bears beat the Bucks just by being able to rush four and get the pressure on him, to blitz him and to pressure him more than he'd been uh, all, all, all um, season long. And so much of it was this team just needed time to get together, right? They got their bye week, and then after that, they went on a run. And what what you saw from that offense was maybe as much a surprise to me as the inability of the of the Chiefs to get anything going on their offensive side. It wasn't just that the Bucks shut down Mahomes and company. It was that on the other side, Tom Brady was having his way with things, almost to the point where you wonder, he recruited Gronk, he recruited Fournette, and he recruited A.B., and all of those guys got to score, right? Was he just that... That, on top of things, that not only were they picking apart the defense, but he actually got to figure out, I want to reward these guys who came to (laughs) – right? I mean, that's wild. There was a hefty parlay that uh, I think Doug Gazarian played, but but many people were played that uh, involved a score from A.B., Gronk and uh, Lenny. Playoff Lenny. We got them all in the the course of this game. So you're absolutely right. It it was stunning to me how easy third and four or five looked. Anytime it felt like the Bucs were in third and four or five, somewhere in that mid-range, they were going to run some sort of a skinny rub route that was going to get Gronk open or whoever came through open, or the Chiefs were going to line up off sides or have some sort of holding penalty. I mean, it it looked effortless so often in this game for Tom Brady and for that Bucs offense. It looked like they were just a step ahead from the outset. We've got a lot to break down over the course of the next couple hours, and uh, we're going to get into some of the fun of it, too. I've got beef with the weekend. There were some things that I liked, but I got one major mm. issue with the weekend, plus some of the ads I've got an issue with, too. We're going to break it all down. Much more Super Bowl content coming next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Don't forget ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Call or click today. Find out if they could save you hundreds on your car insurance. You hear the weekend playing right there, Sarah. I've decided next year we should do an Instagram Live during the halftime show and just be catty and review the entire thing. Uh, because that's all that, that social media is doing in the moment. Everybody seems to just be hating on all of it. And I don't want to be part of that because, on the whole, I liked most of the weekend's performance. But I have one major beef, one major issue with the weekend from this performance. And that was, look, none of that, that music's live, right? We all know that. that they're all, it's like a karaoke track. It's all well, explain to everybody, because you've said this on the show before, the explanation for that is because everything needs to be timed down to essentially the second, and because it's so hard to hear, and because it's a yeah, just giant and it's, space, and it's not set up acoustically to have you know the kind of sound checks you would have for a normal concert, so you sort of have to have everything pre-recorded because the folks on the field wouldn't be playing hearing somebody all the way across on the other side, and then if the time got off, it would throw off the whole broadcast. Right. And and to that end, when you're watching this and you see like the choir in the background, which I thought the, the stage setup was really cool. I like the Gorgeous. way they did it. Uh, you know, but when they when they shot to the scene where they had a bunch of people playing the violin, uh, that was a bunch of actors, which is common. It's not usually because those violins aren't uh, actually mic'd up. There's no way to hear those violins. So they're just fake playing to violins that have been pre-recorded. My issue is that in a world where there are so many musicians out of work, could they not have found in Tampa or Orlando where there are a ton of musicians out of work, like actual people that know how to play a violin that are holding one? Like This feels <laughs> like having a guy my size turn around and suddenly be like a left tackle in a movie about football. If you are a musician <laughs> and you're watching it, you're like, God, he has no idea. Like, there's out-of-work musicians. Come on! They could have at least put real people, in, like real musicians in there to give them that TV money. Help the economy a little bit. Help the musicians that are out of work. That was my beef. It's funny. I When I was watching I, I have to admit, I was not looking to see if it appeared as though the violin players were accurately pantomiming their their musicianship. Uh, so that part didn't get to me. I was torn because, first of all, I'm already a big fan of The Weeknd. I like his music a lot. And so I think if you're predisposed to like someone's music, you're probably going to like their show, in part just out of defense of them and those who dislike them. For instance, I love Coldplay, and people love making fun of Coldplay. I was at the halftime show in person that, and Coldplay crushed it, and it was beautiful, and I love the message that they said. And so I like The weekend's music, so I'm going to defend it. Was it weird? Absolutely, right? The the bandaged face guy that he has talked very rarely about, and just before the Super Bowl finally opened up and said it was a statement about Hollywood beauty standards, and he cares less about aesthetics as he does about storytelling and, and messaging, and that sort of progressive person that starts out bruised and then is bandaged and then whatever throughout the promotion of his album was a statement he was making. It was an artistic sort of uh, story that he told. It's weird if you don't know that. You just think a bunch of dudes are wearing jock straps on their faces as masks, right? Um, I had multiple people on my social media ask why I wasn't mad that there wasn't a single woman in the performance. Now, that does seem like something I might care about, except for there haven't been a dearth of female performers in the halftime as far as I'm concerned, right? We've had plenty of tremendous female artists be there. So if his artistic statement was a bunch of clones of himself, essentially, I don't really mind that. Um, and I don't, you know, unless there's something about the weekend that I haven't heard where he's a terrible misogynist and refuses to believe that women can play instruments, I don't really care if that's the look he was going for in the halftime performance. I thought the idea that he spent 
millions of his own money to create this landscape on the side stage, which was very different, right? They wanted to prevent too many people from being on the field. There was a bunch of crowd space open because it wasn't a packed stadium. So he created this like faux city that I thought was gorgeous. Um, I even thought the part that made me dizzy was super cool, right? I mean, there's just... It was artistic, and a lot of people don't want that. They want a little bit more down-the-middle mainstream for a halftime. I was cool with it. Well, a couple of things there. Uh, when it comes to having no women in the performance, the one thing I'd say, like according to multiple reports, he did shell $7 million of his own dollars out, right? It, it, this is his halftime performance. He didn't have any special guests, which I thought was really a daring choice. We don't see people do that very right. often, and the fact that he did that to me is sort of also his statement of saying, I want this to be my full creative vision. I'd, I'd rather see that than see what we saw in the anthem, which was a weird mashup of Ugh. two artists that I don't think did go well work. together. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I had no problem with that. I also thought, uh, to the point of, of what we saw from him performance-wise, it's interesting. Like, I do miss... What we, you know, if you think back to the other Tampa halftime that so many people talked about, the Aerosmith, NSYNC, Britney Spears, like I miss that feel of being in the middle of a field and it's like a, a massive stadium concert. But uh, that being said, I thought he did a, a, a great job of making it feel like a video, making it feel like a movie. His music to me isn't quite upbeat enough for a great halftime performance, but I thought it was a great performance. And I want to give him a ton of credit because he was definitely singing live. And I always tell people the easiest way to know that is if it doesn't sound perfect, it probably is live like there were too many imperfections in his vocal performance for not for he would have tuned it and fixed it if he was lip syncing and so, some of the audio uh, didn't come in as as well as it yeah. would have if it was all one big track and that's impressive and rare a lot of people don't realize how rare that is to do live especially in the super bowl so i i applaud him i get people are going to complain every year people complain regardless of who it is so um what about the what about the it's it's spain and fits by the way sarah spain jason fits uh the ads so I thought it was a difficult task for many. Many uh, main advertisers actually did not participate this year in the ads that they normally would because it was this weird thing to try to match the the energy of COVID and advertise. There were some really funny ones still. I loved the Will Ferrell Norway ad. That one made yeah. me laugh really hard. The Michael B. Jordan Alexa ad was hilarious. Uh, the Tracy Morgan ads where he's uh, for uh, Rocket Mortgage. Actually, my my good friend worked on both those ads. I was so happy for her and proud of her because you never want to have to lie to someone and be like, that was great. Uh, and I thought they were super funny when he's like, you know, I'm pretty sure is not good enough. Um, I love the vibes of the Edward Scissorhands ad, partly because I love that movie. And it just reminded me of like how quirky and unique it was. The Jason Alexander hoodie was pretty good. And then unlike many people, I loved the Springsteen ad, but I also know Springsteen's politics and I know his view on things. He's spoken at length about them. So to me, it wasn't a sellout. It was, as he described in a in a story that I read about how it came together and he did his first ad in like the history of his existence, was he thought of the ad as almost a prayer of what he wants and hopes to see. And I did not think it was singular or divisive. I thought it did speak to the idea of a middle not unity, like forget about the insurrection, not a middle like middle America or a middle between the two sides, but just a place that people can meet who disagree and how we do not have that at all. And that's extremely dangerous to our future. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, I actually agree with you wholeheartedly on the Springsteen ad. I didn't realize that people had a problem with it until I looked at social media. Like, I, right. that's how I ingested it. Uh, I also thought uh, that the uh, uh, Drake from State Farm was very yes. well done. Beefy I did not Drake, see man. That coming. Uh, yeah, I mean that was that was that was well done. Also, the Shaggy and Mila Kunis, uh, Ashton Kutcher, Cheetos ad. It wasn't me. I thought that. Was I good. hated I it. 
You hate I it? Hate, I was like, what do we... Oh, is Ashton Kutcher supposed to be really bad at singing where they couldn't even get him to remotely sound like he knew what the song was? Or was that unintentional? No, I think that's that's pretty accurate to his <laughs> talent. Was, it was. I'm going to go with that. Yeah, But I thought it was at least cute, you know? But yeah. you're right. One of the things that really hit me is I was watching... and I've, Everybody was feeling this. And, and we were talking about it as we came on air tonight that I think a lot of people yesterday were reminded of how weird the world is right now because we're so used to having... Uh, you know, mass chaos on Super Bowl Sunday. And for many of us, that wasn't the case. But the ads sort of reflected that. I, I did think that advertisers were put in a strange situation of mm-hmm. how to be funny. Uh, and there were a lot of misses on the attempts to be funny, too. I, I mean, I thought uh, the only a- one was funny without even like I thought it was funny in its own right. And then I knew what they were doing. They were being as bad as possible. So we would all talk about it. And guess what? It worked. They They already had shirts up on their site that said, you know, I hate the guy in the Oatly ads, or whatever. Like they knew what they were doing, and it got everyone talking, which is smart. Yeah, well, is it? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I just I hated it. <laughs> I, I got to admit, like, I, I, but I get it. We're brought to you by my computer career training for a better life. Speaking of ads, we'll keep breaking down the Super Bowl coming up next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And I can't believe he did it again. Tom Brady making all of us doubters eat our words and in remarkable fashion, absolutely shutting down the Chiefs and earning a very diverse and impressive Bruce Arians staff rings one of those coaches joining us now to talk about the thrill of it all friend of the show certified badass Lori locust Lori, congratulations thank you thank you you weren't really doubting us were you did i hear that right yeah i'm not, a giant moron you. i am a giant moron Lori. i said a number of years ago <laughs> i was never picking against brady again and then something happened between then and last last night when i decided the chiefs were going to win this game i should have known when you are the assistant defensive line coach that you were going to have those boys ready to go i mean it's uh, it's ridiculous to think about all of our questions before the super bowl or how do you even begin to stop patrick mahomes you can't and then you did talk about talk about what happened yesterday. I think you know to to give all the credit, obviously, to Todd's uh, ability to game plan any team, um, and then certainly Casey's uh, ability to have just really brought this whole room full circle from when we started last year. Um, I think all credit goes to, to the two of them. You know, I'm just, I'm very blessed to be in the room and work with the guys and play a small part. But I feel like if you go back to our first game, uh, when we played the Chiefs, you know, they got out ahead of us rather quickly. And, um, you know, it looked in the beginning, which is probably why a lot of people, you know, bet against us, you know, in the first quarter. I mean, you know, you give up like 200 and some yards, you know, receiving, you kind of like, okay, this is going to be a runaway. But I feel like if you really looked at that game and you looked at the second half and you saw the adjustments that we were able to make in that time frame, you know, it could have given you an indication that possibly we knew, like, what we should have been doing. Um, We just maybe didn't execute it um, the whole game. So um, I can tell you this, this process has been so consistent with BA and the culture that he set in the building in the past I would say month and a half, there's been a calmness 
in the building. It's not a cockiness, but it's a calmness. And it's almost like a confidence that kept growing. So after Green Bay, and as we got closer to this time and closer to that game, there wasn't any conversation I heard in the building at all. There wasn't one person that said, if we win. It was just, when we win, we're going to do this. And when we win, we're going to do that. And it just really kind of permeated the whole team. And I think game plan, knowing the opponent, knowing, you know, that those guys have history, you know, coaching against one another, it just added up to be a perfect combination for us. And, and to be able to bring the championship back to Tampa is so special. So we did it. Lori, when you guys looked at the their offensive line, particularly being so banged up, how did you guys alter what you wanted to do against them given that situation? Yeah, you know what? We kind of really didn't because I think you get into a trap with that. I mean, yes, you know, the starters for say were down. There's been some shifting that's been going around. But if you look at the season and the teams overall throughout the league, you know, these guys aren't here uh, because they can't play football. So even though you're a backup, you know, there could be for a lot of different reasons. And I think, you know, you get into a trap when you're trying to make adjustments specifically for something like that. You know, you're trying to exploit, you know, a certain player or something like that. You kind of get out of your own rhythm. You get out of your own head. Um, there were certain things that we know we needed to do. Obviously, we needed to um, contain Mahomes. We needed to keep the pocket tight. We couldn't let him scramble out, you know, to his right side. Um, so we continued to try and flush him left. But there really wasn't a time when we were, you know, kind of putting the O-line and who they had in front of us um, at the forefront of the game plan. And, again, you know, guys guys can play, uh, you know, over what you expect them to play. And if you go in thinking that you're up against a lesser opponent or, you know, somebody who's not a starter, you know, you get your ass beat, I mean – Shame on us as coaches for not having you prepared. But that really didn't enter into it, and um, we just tried to execute what we had planned for um, for the past two weeks. Lori Locus, assistant defensive line coach for the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Bucks, with us here on Spain and Fitz in her second season with the Bucks. Um, Lori, I want to hear about last night. I'm so fascinated. I was at the Chiefs <laughs> Super Bowl party last year, brag alert, watching Flo Rida and Pitbull and, you know, trying to keep my eyes open, which was very difficult, which I'm sure is how you're feeling right now after a big night of celebrating. But what does it look like in a COVID year when you're at home already? Did everyone just, you know, go home and have champagne? I think, you know, that there was a good mix uh, for all the celebration. Um, Our owners have uh, put together a celebration at the aquarium, and I expected it to be kind of low-key you know, inside, very kind of reserved and just very nicely done. And I pulled up and it was probably a couple thousand people, um, most of which were masked, but um, just a really nice vibe. It was all outdoors. I think the temps were like in the mid-60s. There's a breeze. So, you know, Tampa's weather was perfect this year. And um, Ludacris and Migos uh, performed. So I got I scored a lot of cool mom points last night because my daughter was able to attend the game and then bring three of his friends to the after party and um, yeah that's something that you know made the the win a lot more special to be able to have him here and be able to have them enjoy it just as much so 
4 o'clock this morning rolled around, um, and I was just walking in, so I can say that I celebrated the Super Bowl um, responsibly, but it, it was a lot of fun, and it was great to see them enjoy it as well. Lori, one of the things we talked about on this show last week was the diversity that is on this coaching staff and the opportunity that could come from it. You are now part of a coaching staff that is uh, giving you you're one of the first women at this point. This staff has the first women to win Super Bowl rings. So what does that do for the future yep. of women coaching in the NFL? You know, I think it, it kind of sets the bar pretty high. Uh, but we... Um, MJ and I being here, and, and you know, I'll speak for her for a little bit. I think the most important thing for us is that this isn't something where we're like sort of the Trojan horses for you know other women to just kind of permeate the league. I mean, I think that we both feel as though if you're qualified, if you work hard, if you you know do things the right way, regardless of gender, regardless of race, you know, you're going to get the opportunity. And I think what um, BA has done is kind of really put a spotlight on the fact that talent um, supersedes what you look like, potential supersedes, you know, what gender you are. So um, it works for Tampa and it works for BA because that's who he's always been. Um, he doesn't do things to check boxes, as I'm sure you both know. Um, I don't think he's, you know, the passive uh, type, but. It's just something where the chemistry is so good between everyone. Um, it's, it is a diverse staff, but we just look at it as, you know, the next coach down the hall or, you know, where the trainers and stuff are at and where MJ's group is at. It's just another group that helps the team win. So um, it'll put a lot of spotlight on the fact that things are possible, but it's still a long road to get here, and we're hoping to, um, to continue to build a framework so other women, if that's what they choose to do, will at least be able to see the path um, that they can put their feet on, and then the rest of that's going to be up to them. But, you know, we'll help them as much as we can. You mentioned a long road. We all have heard Lori Locust Road working in insurance for 20 years, starting to play women's football right before you turned 40, two kids, uh, showing up in coaching yep. and volunteering and working late nights and not getting paid much because it was something you wanted to do. And here you are. Super Bowl winning coach for the Tampa Bay Bucks. I'm so pumped for you. Uh, go take a nap. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll yeah. talk to you sometime down the road. But uh, congratulations. Congrats, Lori. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, you know, always my coffee. I did. I did. I'm so sorry. All forgiven. And, yeah, I look forward to talking to you guys again really soon. Thanks, Lori. Uh, never again, right, Fitz. Take care. Thank you. Yeah, Fitz, you got to well, hold me to it. Next time I start doubting, I don't care if he's 56. Just tell me to shut my mouth and tell me I need to learn my lesson. <laughs> and look, yeah, I just appreciate that you didn't throw me under the bus and make sure that she yeah. knew that I picked you in. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Tomorrow, Ronald Jones, Bucks running back, Super Bowl champ, is going to join KJ and Z, 845 a.m. Eastern. Be sure to check that out. Always great to have Lori Locust on the show. She's incredible. I'm so happy for her. She's brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, the best call of the Super Bowl didn't even have to do with the Bucks and Chiefs. It's coming up on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Listen, I'll fully admit that Tom Brady hasn't been my favorite, but that guy could be so much more of a jerk than he is about how awesome he is. Right? I mean, I know he kind of smirks and he makes the videos with Gronk celebrating and he puts out the TV times sometimes, but what a jerk that guy could be about the fact that people wrote him off like two 
different Hall of Fame careers ago. He's had two different Hall of Fame careers since people started saying he was washed. It's unbelievable. It really is. It's it's um, we look stupid. Is all I'm saying. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We doubted Tom Brady. We were proved wrong, and um, we'll find out whether we put any money behind what we thought was going to happen. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You can save big when you bundle your audio, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. We'll get to that kind of gambling in a second. But first, the real gambler yesterday was not the Bucks for sending so much pressure to Patrick Mahomes and daring him to beat them. It wasn't even Tom Brady figuring out how to beat that Chiefs defense and throwing some passes that were kind of risky. The biggest gambler was the guy who streaked the field, and this is how it sounded from our guy, Kevin Harlan. Second down, 20, 5.03 to go. Someone has run on the field. Some guy with a brawl. And now he's not being chased. He's running down the middle of the 40. Arms in the air and a victory salute. He's pulling down his pants. Put up your pants, my man. Pull up those pants. He's being chased to the 30. He breaks a tackle from a security guard. The 20, down the middle, the 10, the 5. He slides at the 1, and they converge on him at the goal line. Pull up your pants, take off the bra, and be a man. And the players with hands on hips at the other end of the field are looking at him and shaking their head and saying, why, oh, why is this taking place in a Super Bowl? <laughs> Look, it's a brilliant strategy, though, Sarah. I asked Golik uh, Jr. And, and Kirk Morrison last night on the postgame show on ESPN Radio, if I were to streak on the field and I'm wearing regular clothes, would they be likely to tackle me? And the answer was an overwhelming yes. I said, if I came out in just a tiny thong, would they then want to tackle me? And both said, probably not. So I feel like it's a good strategy. Like, you go out in a T-Rex inflatable suit, you're going to get hit right away. You go out in, like, really awkward underwear, maybe you get a little longer on the field. I don't know if I believe that. I think the guy just had a couple good moves, um, and there were some slow security guards out there. If you watch the replay, which, of course, they never show it on TV, but afterwards there were many different video camera versions of it. If you watch the replay, the first security guard that tries to get to him when he slides kind of misses and jumps over him and lands face first, like a full face skid. Like that guy 100% has some face burns from the attempt that he made to tackle when the guy slid Um no one should do that. It's stupid and dumb. But I also very much enjoy watching it every time. <laughs> I really, I really, I like it, uh, even if it's unnecessary. And I do think that if given the option, Kevin Harlan would prefer to call streakers for the rest of his life over actual games. Uh, well, only Kevin Harlan. Like, I, I don't even, I was bummed I actually saw it so many times because the call is better than the visual on it. That's the thing. Like, Kevin Harlan puts you in the moment. You feel like you're there with the streaker on the field. He's a talented man. He really is. He really is. He brought it to life. Um, and uh, I will say that guy looked a lot better going than coming. Uh, I saw a couple different shots. And on the way out, I was like, oh, I mean, if you're going to choose that attire, it's not a bad rear for that. The front wasn't very flattering, though. I think he could have made a better choice in the front. It was sort of a Borat-esque tankini kind of thing going on with a thong back. And then, yeah, anyway, it was a wild choice in general. You, like, uh, you got to put more thought into it. Like, if you're going to streak, you really right. got to make sure that like, you've covered every why isn't angle it at has least to be a good for shot. One, yeah, and why isn't it at least for one of the teams? Like, it was just a neutral hot pink. Also, I'm very curious, what kind of hero was he? Was he a doctor, a first responder? <laughs> uh, which one of the heroes 
that was brought into the game was that guy. Or was it someone who spent like $20,000 to get in and was like, ah, this looks like the Chiefs are going to lose. I'm going to go how ahead and get my money money's worth. Like, how much money do you have to have in the bank to be like, hey, <laughs> I spent twenty grand to get in here. I don't even need to see the rest I of the game, guys. I don't even need to stick around. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Speaking of the gamble that that guy made uh, just oh. streaking on the field, how was your dabbling? Sarah, it's, it's rock bottom. I've hit oh, rock no. Bottom, Sarah. oh, no. Oh, uh, no. I warned you, know, you, didn't I? I, I lightly funded myself, you know, a little dabbling account, and it's been it's been a little down, it's been a little up, but I was really confident on the Super Bowl, so I was very confident on the Chiefs in the over. So I, as the kids say, pounded the Chiefs in the over. I got twenty bucks left in my dabbling account. I'm done. Like I got twenty dollars left. I don't even know if I can place that. Like, what am I going to spend like ten dollars on a bet just to try and keep hedging and see if I can grow it over time? By by twenty twenty seven, I'll be back up to like having anything in there. I mean, th- this this is as bad as it gets. I've now I've now realized why I never wanted to get into gambling at this point. Uh, it's it, it it's failed me. Okay, oh, so if you're willing to share, can you give us the amount that you afforded yourself to go into this dabbling account? Well, you know, so I started this, this little moment with like $250 because that okay. was like a very right. reasonable. Yeah. And then things started to go pretty well. So I funded mm-hmm. it with another $250. So I put okay. $500 in, which for me. For like, this game. Yeah. Well, uh, yes. So I put, yes, I put $500 just shy okay. of, but I was a little up. So I put everything, almost everything in and uh, I had like, you know, I went with the easy 500 bucks on it and uh, right. lost it all. And you lost it, lost all. it all. Okay. I, which um, again, for me, like 500 bucks, like I, there are some people that maybe that's not a big loss for me. It's going to take a solid 18 months before I'm comfortable <laughs> spending another dollar on it. You're scared. You're scared now. Yeah, Um, that's it. Well, because of you, I blame you. I blame three things. I blame you uh, for your subtle influencing. I blame Joe Fortenbaugh for being the first person to talk about gambling in a way that made me mostly understand what he was saying and then make decisions based on his suggestions. Because normally I'm so lost that I'm like, I couldn't even begin to bet what you just told me to, even if I tried. And three... I blame the fact that I was sitting at home watching a Super Bowl with a husband who falls asleep almost every time we try to watch anything on TV. And the only thing that I had to look forward to was the snacks I was cooking. Like, I'm usually at the game or like a killer party or like just or, you know, just so much excitement. So I needed to add something to add a little excitement. So I dabbled. I I went on an app and I signed up and I was close. I put in 220. So almost the 250 that you did because I am very risk averse and I do not like losing money. So the thing is. I was correct on eight of my 11 bets. So that's mm. a really good odd. Like, that's really impressive that I got eight of them right. The only ones I lost were, of course, the Chiefs uh, minus three, the Chiefs scoring in every quarter, which they scored in the first three and somehow didn't manage to get a single point in the fourth. And then uh, I had a sack by JPP uh, that he didn't get. I won all my other bets. All of them. Sack, first team to score, touchdowns. Receptions by Kelsey, rushing yards by Clyde Edward Tolaire, pass attempts, completions, all the other stuff for a grand total of $132.16. So it's like, it was like, I was so excited watching and like, yeah, Kelsey, yeah, like, oh, look at that run by Clyde Edward Tolaire. Yeah, you know, like so fired up. And then I look at him like, man, I really needed to 
bet a significant amount more if I wanted to be excited. But by see, the that's where the that's where <laughs> week one of the betting is like a gateway drug. Like when when I was a yeah. kid and they were like, say no to you know marijuana. Like the first one, they, they, like started. This one's free. This one's on us. That's where yeah. they get you. You try that a little bit and you're like, hey, this is working pretty well. It's not that hard. I'll try a little bit more money. And then all of a sudden the NFL happens, and that's that's just what right. happens. Right. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to get sucked into that. This was a very special occasion where I'd also done a lot of research on the game, which is what allowed me to get 8 of 11 correct. I don't think I'm just going to start betting like March Madness or something. I think I'm, I think I'm good. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend that $132.16 uh, somewhere very smart. I'm really going to make maybe Valentine's Day dinner, you know, <laughs> something, something special. Uh, it's Spain and Bits coming up. We may have overlooked some significant Super Bowl storylines going into the game. We'll talk about it with the former lineman next on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Raise your hand if you had the Bucks blowing out the Chiefs, sending Pat Mahomes on the run, running almost 500 yards around the field, just trying to get some passes off. My hand is not up. I will admit it. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, still reacting to a wild Super Bowl. Absolutely unexpected. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Joining us now to try to figure out how yesterday went the way it went on the Goodyear hotline is former NFL offensive lineman Jeff Schwartz. And Jeff, I put it out there last night on Twitter. I said every offensive lineman in media is going to stroll into the office, LeVar Ball strut style, even if their office is in their house, just waiting to tell everyone today how underrated O-linemen are. Is that your take that you know we didn't spend enough time talking about how big of a deal it would be for those backups to be on the line for KC? Well, I definitely spent a good deal amount of talking about that. Um, and, you know, um, I, I just – it's so interesting because if, if you had told anyone for any game – you guys are football fans, you have your favorite teams. I told you your favorite team, any game of the year, Super Bowl, week one, week seven, whatever, hey, you're going to have your second left tackle, your second left guard, your second right guard, and your third right tackle. And a center, by the way, who was benched this year. You'd be like, oh, no, that's not good. We're going to lose. And most people that looked at the Chiefs this weekend thought, hey, that's all possible, but Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes can solve everything, right? Pat Mahomes can just make plays no one else can make. And he, did, he did, quite frankly, make some of those last night. It, it didn't matter. And so the outcome of the game was not that surprising if you strip away the Mahomes factor, right? Tampa Bay is better on the offensive line. They're better on the defensive line. They have a better secondary. They have better linebackers. They have just as good skill position players as does Kansas City. The difference, obviously, in the teams is, is Pat Mahomes. So um, when you're able to rattle Pat Mahomes as they were, and the Chiefs tried. They tried to get their offensive line help. It just didn't work. Uh, Todd Bowles, the Tampa defense coordinator, called an outstanding game. And um, it, it's not that surprising, but it is because we've never seen this from the Chiefs before. So, Jeff, I'm going to give you a time machine. You get to go back 24 hours and sit down with the Chiefs coaching staff and say, whatever you do, you need to make sure you do this to change the outcome of the game. What could they have done? It's a great question. Um, you know, I would say probably run the ball a little bit more. I mean, that's what Tampa was begging you to do was run the ball when, when they play so much too high. Uh, that's what you have to do. Um, you know, I would have – and then they tried to build in a lot of quick game. I just would have done more of it. I, I know that – and that stat was very misleading that was out last night about how many times they went empty. I went and charted it. Uh, it wasn't remotely true. The Chiefs actually spent a good portion of the first half. I think I counted 12 or 13 of the 29-ish plays in the first half where they helped the offensive line. I would have argued 
to do it to do it less to, to get more guys in the routes, go empty, throw the ball quick, like just force a quick game on Tampa Bay. They tried screening, it did not work. Um, it was. Uh, I, I think sometimes it, it's hard to do this as a fan of any team, just to say, hey, we got our butts kicked, man. Like Tampa just kicked their butts. Like that's what it was. It was that simple. I don't think that I could have told them anything that you you get physically whooped in the line of scrimmage. Tyreek Hill is going to get pressed off the line of scrimmage. Like, it, it's hard to coach a different game when you guys, when your guys are just physically beat. It's Spain and Fitz here. Spain, Jason Fitz talking to Jeff Schwartz, former O-lineman, now turned media man who's going to tell us all about the importance of understanding how an offensive line allows a quarterback to do what he does. And that's why I need you to help me on this one. Before the game, I said, I thought this was going to come down to pressure. Could they get interior pressure on Brady? Could they prevent Pat Mahomes from escaping outside and doing the magic that he does? Patrick Mahomes was the best in the NFL under pressure. Best QBR, best touchdown to interception ratio, best pass yards per attempt under pressure. What was so special and specific about what the Bucks did, or was it entirely about the pressure that he was getting with his regular alignment just wasn't the same as this pressure? Well, you know, pressure ties into the secondary. If you look at a lot of the plays where Pat Mahomes was, was flushed out of the pocket or pressured, there was not a lot of people open. I mean, that's part of it as well. That You know, you can, you can have a great pass rush and guys are just open. And it really wasn't the case. And so what I thought specifically to what Tampa's defensive line did, man, they, they did a great job of coordinating the pass rush. So I think we look at a game and we think, that these defensive linemen just rush the passer without any plan, without any idea, well, they're quickest to the quarterback, right? But there is a plan to it. And I think the Tampa Bay show last night, go to my Twitter, at Jeff Schwartz, Jeff with a G, I broke down one of their rushes where they kind of forced Mahomes to one side and they had a free guy wrap around and try to tackle him. And that's what they did all night. They, they moved every play. They had guys line up at different spots to the Chiefs offensive line. Right, a lot of guys have played a lot of football in the O line, but not next to each other. Had to had to communicate a bunch, figure out where guys are going to be, where they're going, and so it was a coordinated effort to make sure that Mahomes wasn't able to make special plays. That being said, there were a couple drops last night on some of these special throws that Mahomes mm. had. Like he mm. had the opportunity to make some of these plays, and the ball was dropped. So Jeff, you know, we had the next gen stats last night on radio after the game, and. It was close to 500 yards that Mahomes ran around before he threw the ball under duress compared to under 40 yards for Brady. We've been spending all this time talking about Mahomes. What did Kansas City's defensive line, why, why weren't they able to generate anything against that offensive line for the Bucks? Well, the Bucks have three offensive linemen who are all pro caliber. Their left guard, their center, and their right tackle. And Tristan Wirfs, the right tackle, is a rookie. He was outstanding last night. Um, and... You know, they did a really good job on, on Chris Jones. Aaron Stenny, the right guard, starting his second game of his life, I thought played outstanding for, for that situation as a young kid. But what they did just schematically is they really mixed things up. Uh, they did, you know, they ran the ball well. They had screens, some play-action pass, which is a really good job of helping your offensive line. You get to still run a little bit there. Tom Brady throws the ball quickly. You know, as much as we love Pat Mahomes' ability to move out the pocket, you know, I think they also, ESPN, you know, the stats and research put out a, a, a plot kind of showing where Brady threw the ball from last night. There was one also earlier this week of where he threw the ball during the season. And Mahomes, Mahomes is all over the field. Brady's in a tiny little circle in the pocket. Like that 
traditionally over time wins your football games on offense. And so I think that a, a obviously goal for the Chiefs is to be more like Brady in the pocket for Mahomes. And that, that includes the, the pass protection unit, includes the play calling. Is you, you actually want to be like Tom Brady. You want to just sit, sit in the pocket. Everyone knows where you're going to be. The ball's going to be out and go from there. So I actually think this is a good lesson for the Chiefs um, going forward. I mean, look, there's obviously things, you'll, you know, the lessons from this game. I think the biggest one is offensively. We just have to find ways to kind of get Pat Mahomes to sit in the pocket in the rhythm. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio talking about the shocking Super Bowl result last night with former offensive lineman Jeff Schwartz. Um, has this changed your opinion of Patrick Mahomes at all? I've heard people maybe not give him any blame at all for how things went last night, and I've certainly heard people say he's a system guy. I think there's probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, where are you feeling, uh, or how are you feeling about Patrick Mahomes today? I feel like people love to knock people down uh, when you know they find the first opportunity to do so. And we've yet to find an opportunity to do that with Pat Mahomes. I mean, this is the first bad game he's played ever. It's great. Right. Like right. you know, last year's Super Bowl <laughs> was last year's Super Bowl was you know he was bad for bad-ish for three quarters, but then he played great in the fourth quarter. I mean, even their loss this year against the Raiders. It was considered a bad game where he threw for like 400 yards and they scored 32 points. Like his, if you look at the advanced stats, like he's never had, I think, an EPA like game like under zero. Like he's always been above average every single game of his career until last night. So I do not think this means anything for his career. I mean, again, how many teams in the NFL would have a functioning offense where you have four backup offensive linemen now. Some have started most of the season, but you had three guys last night in new positions for the first time last year, at left tackle, at right guard, and right tackle. How many offenses would function against that defensive line in that situation? Zero. Zero of them would. So um, it's not an indictment at all on Pat Mahomes. And I think, again, you can learn a lot from a loss, and I think this loss can be very beneficial for the future of the Chiefs with, with Pat and Andy. I mean, Jeff, what you're telling me as a lifelong diehard Raiders fan is that all I need is for the Chiefs to be without all of their offensive line for the entirety of every <laughs> oh, game I know you're, against the Raiders, and then we're and good. facing the Raiders. greatest of all time. Yeah, I know. You're, I know. I, I know you're a Raiders fan. I knew what I was saying. I, I, I know you're uh, former you. Super Bowl champs, man. Congratulations. You know, oh, I, you know it's get, funny. I, I didn't get any. I didn't get any grief from Raiders fans on Twitter. Like Bills fans were all my mentions. Like, like Josh Allen doesn't get the same leash Mahomes gets. Yeah, you think he doesn't? I thought Raiders fans and Chargers fans and Broncos fans would be all my mentions last night. Maybe I muted all y'all. I didn't get nothing from no, Raiders fans. No, this is it's because we know how this feels. Like, remember, I said this last night on Twitter. Chiefs fans and Raiders fans now have a common thread. We both unexpectedly got our butts kicked by Tampa Bay in a Super Bowl. Like, the Raiders <laughs> fans were living it all over again. Listen, listen. Uh, he says he knows who we root for, and yet he asked me to imagine a game in which I didn't have any competent offensive linemen, as if that isn't every game that the Chicago Bears played this year. Uh, uh, all right. Are we're you ready? Here. I hope you're ready for Carson Wentz because okay. Like all right. Coming. You know what? This interview's over. Right. You know this what, Jeff? With a G. This is why we drink. This is yeah. <laughs> it's too early for this. Thank you. Thank you for the insight, and thank you very little for bringing up the W word on Super Bowl Monday. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, Appreciate you, Jeff. Have a great night, guys. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Very strange Super Bowl for most of us. Most of us used to big parties, uh, perhaps even traveling to go to the game itself, and instead most of us sitting 
home watching uh, what was a very unexpected result as well. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can do that on the iTunes app, the podcast app, or ESPN app. Lots of good uh, digital pre-parties and after-parties on certain days. And anything you miss on the show, you can listen to. Uh, yeah, Fitz, we talked about it on Friday, our expectations for what should be a very strange Super Bowl. You worked all day. You did some pre-game with Golik Jr., and then uh, you were up till about 2 in the morning talking about the game last night. So appreciate your work ethic. Um, but something that we never could have predicted was the, the waning moments of the game to get absolutely tragic news for our ESPN family and just made the whole thing even more surreal. Pedro Gomez, a beloved ESPN baseball reporter uh, since 03, died unexpectedly yesterday and the news hit in the waning moments of the game. He was just 58 years old. We don't have very many details uh, but immediately uh, tributes pouring in and a lot of people, Fitz, who had worked very closely with Pedro, needing to continue working and put together shows, put together radio and TV um, while trying to grieve. And it's been a remarkable show of, of love for him. We're going to hopefully in the coming days have a chance to really get into the things that we loved about Pedro. But um, it just feels like on a Super Bowl Monday, everyone wants to talk about the game, and understandably so. So I think we'll just both mention that we were incredibly heartbroken to get the news last night. And, and to be honest, that was sort of it for me. I, uh, I kind of got off social media and uh, tried to focus on other things because it was just too hard to, to see everything uh, pouring in about his life. It certainly took the air out of the room as we got the news just as we were about to start the post-game Super Bowl show. And I'll say that on one of my first ever shows for ESPN Radio, Pedro, Pedro came on. And uh, we we connected immediately. Uh, his daughter was going to be in a musical, and we we ended up spending the entire uh, interview instead of talking about baseball, talking about the musical. But it it connected us at a real and incredible level. So I think it uh, it hit a lot of us because that's who Pedro was. It managed to connect yeah. with people, and as you said, we'll spend more time on it throughout the course of the week. But obviously, we want to give uh, you know he and his family and uh, everybody that's been so impacted by this loss a, a mention here, and our thoughts and prayers go out to everybody. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We'll get back into the game that you guys all watched or probably watched most of. I don't know how many people turned it off when it became clear that this was uh, this was not going to be one of those Chiefs comebacks we'd seen so many times before. Uh, and we're going to figure out where the blame lies. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Uh, lots of people pointing fingers today. And what's been interesting is to see the great defense of Patrick Mahomes, and I think rightfully so, because there were so many ways that the Bucks got after him and sent him running, and he did his best. He threw balls literally horizontal like Superman flying through the air uh, and occasionally would hit his teammates in the face or the hands, and, and <laughs> it didn't work out. Um, Marcus Spears, ESPN NFL analyst, was on the Max Kellerman show and said it, it was the panicking of the Chiefs' coaches that let down Mahomes and put him in that position. The coaches staff let him down. I think they panicked early in that game. I think they felt like they were getting blown out when the scoreboard was actually super close by, by dropping back and throwing the ball so much. They should have tried running the football. I don't care that Tampa Bay was the number one defense in the league against the run. Todd Bowles, any other defensive coach, are going to look great when they know you dropping back every damn play. Yeah, Fitz, go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, look, I, I love uh, I love everything Marcus does. I just think that this is a little bit skewed here because if they come out and they try and establish the run and it's a bunch of three and outs because that's an impossible defense to run the ball against, all of a sudden we'd be saying, why didn't you put the ball in Mahomes' hands? Like sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't in this situation. Uh, I It's hard for me to see that the coaching staff necessarily let him down. It just felt like the Bucks were ready for everything that the Chiefs gave them. The Bucks were a step ahead the entire time. Yeah, it felt like usually when the kind of pressure that Casey was getting starts, they'll try to do screens and draws. They'll try to do hot routes and quick passes to protect the quarterback. And they tried to do that. They tried to react the way you normally would, but it didn't work. And and the best answer was let Mahomes run around and try to make a play. It didn't make Mahomes look good. It didn't make the offense look good. It put him in a terrible position, Mahomes that is, of having to do most of what they tried to do but without the offense. The the plans and the, and the, and the play calls sort of fell apart as he tries to figure out how to get out of the way of, of this incredible pressure, uh, the most pressure of any quarterback in Super Bowl history. 29 of 56 dropbacks he was pressured. Um, so it felt like they tried to have a game plan to protect the offensive line because of all those injuries, and they got a little passive early because they were so worried about that game plan falling apart and that offensive line being picked apart that it was it was too late by the time they realized they need to be a little more aggressive, and um, and the Bucks just had the right approach. Um, so I, I, I'm not letting the coaches off the hook. I'm not letting Mahomes off the hook. I'm merely saying it was a combination of the two, and, of course, the Bucks coming – coming so strong. Kirk Morrison, host of that Super Post Game show with you, said this about the Chiefs. I'm starting to kind of look forward, like who can now contest with the Chiefs? Because I think tonight, for a lot of people watching the game, we realize the Chiefs are not everything that we thought they were. And if you start running that tape next year for teams that go up against the Chiefs, like, look, they're human. They put pants on like everybody else. Their offense can be stopped. That film tonight put on by the Buccaneers will be shown by every coaching staff going up against the Chiefs next season. You buy that? No, I mean, yeah, sure. If you've got a, a tremendous defensive line that's playing hot, 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 that can get after the quarterback without needing any extra help and linebackers that can suddenly cover Travis Kelsey one-on-one, sure, maybe you can approach that too. But, I, I mean, I don't think most teams are equipped to just be able to handle the Chiefs out of the gate. Yeah, I agree with you. I think – that certainly is a great game plan if you have all of the Bucks personnel in front four and if the offensive line for the Chiefs is as damaged and broken as it was, which both of those things are not likely. So I don't know if this is quite the game plan that everybody's saying. A, a lot of things had to go the Bucks way and go wrong for the Chiefs. Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise, including penalties. Lots of penalties. Was that part of it? Our big picture takeaways and how much we're blaming the officials for this one coming up next on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Super Bowl 55 was a blowout, but one of the main conversations remains the officials and whether or not they did a great job, a terrible job, or how they impacted the game. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel, lady presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline and Sarah as we were all watching the game last night, let me be clear. I think one of the most important things to note is that many of the penalties we're talking about were self-inflicted penalties. We've never seen as many penalties in the second quarter as we did last night in any Super Bowl. The Chiefs were penalized for more yards in the second quarter than ever in any quarter in any Super Bowl. And it's easy for people to talk about the officials. We'll get to it. But part of it, I mean, when you talk about the offsides, lining up offsides on a field goal attempt, 
I mean, that that's straight up, look at where the ball's placed. He had two players on one play for Kansas City line up offsides on a field goal attempt. That stuff's inexcusable. So I don't want to blanket everything into the officials. Some of this is about having the discipline to do your job. That That's always going to be part of the officiating conversation. But we were, we're talking about the officials because there were a lot of questionable calls that uh, people feel like impacted the game. Yeah, I think it was a combination of things. One was some very stupid plays by the Chiefs players. The fact that there was almost no calls in some of the games leading up to this where it felt like refs had swallowed their whistles, so this was such a departure from that. The fact that there was already going to be assumption that the league was on the side of Tom Brady to give us the great story of victory on his home field, right? And then the fact that the Bucks were playing a really clean game from what we could see. There were a time or two, absolutely, that you could have made a call that they didn't. And there was absolutely a call or two on the Chiefs that you should have and probably um, might have in another game not called. And when you add those all together, it results in people thinking that it was unfair. I don't think it was. I think it was just unfortunate. And I would be shocked to go in and find out the conversations they had about why that was such a messy KC team. Things like lining up offsides for a field goal and stuff like that that you just absolutely can't excuse. There's an an element, too, for all of this. It gets really hard for fans, and and I love it when you see Tom Brady fans, half of them, you know, depending on the outcome. It's the league is anti-Tom, and now all of a sudden the league is pro-Tom. And, you know, I'm not sure why the NFL would really care whether or not Tom Brady won versus Patrick Mahomes (laughs) uh, defeating Tom Brady, which would only rise him up to be the Luke Skywalker to the Darth Vader. I know you're not a Super Bowl fan, or or Star Wars fan, Sarah, but, you know. Excuse me. I I, I love Star Wars. Sure, sure, sure. I'm the biggest fan. I love Sal Pal, and Sal Pal Antonio, ESPN NFL reporter, was on with us last night for the Super Post Game Show and had some important comments I want you to hear, and then I'm going to add more context to it. This is Sal Pal last night. Sheffers led the league in penalties called per game, and he led the league for most of the year in offensive holding. He wound up, uh, I think, ending the year fourth in the league in offensive holding. And I knew that the over the over-under on penalties called was 10 and a half in Vegas, and I knew it was going to be over. I knew this was going to be a very tough officiated game. Spoken like now, a man who dabbled and won. Yeah, I know, <laughs> uh, as opposed to me. Now, when he says Sheffers, yeah. he's referring to Carl Sheffers, uh, the official that led the, the crew last night. A couple of things here, and, and several players, including Kirk Morrison last night, have pointed out that many times you get this in your scouting report. You know what they call, how they call it. Another important thing to, to note here is that Sheffer's crew was working because throughout the course of the year, the NFL grades every single crew. They graded that crew to be the best in all of football. So even though they make a lot of calls, they call a lot of penalties, the NFL has looked at their body of work and felt that they grade out higher than anybody else. That's why they got that assignment. So the presumption that they make more calls doesn't make them bad at their job. In fact, the NFL will tell you it's the off, uh, the opposite. Sheffer's was on this game because he makes the calls he makes, but they've reviewed it enough to feel that it's correct. So I feel like the NFL did the best thing they could to put they, what they thought was the best officiating crew in there. doesn't mean any crew is going to be perfect, but it's not like there was some sort of moment here where they put an incompetent crew on the biggest game of the year. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I feel bad for Chiefs fans that things weren't going well and that they had that to sort of point to. And if it makes them feel better to blame that, um, I, I doubt very many of them can do it and deep down truly believe that that's what went wrong for them. Although there were some pretty big plays that turned on calls 
uh, there's a lot more to look at and, and and a lot more to pay attention to. And and one of the things that I hope people pay attention to, I think we've got sound for this, um, is what it looked like for the winning team. Um, we we you know we've got um, we've got uh, guys that look different at the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator position. We've got uh, women coaches. We've got just a very diverse staff from Bruce Arians. And I, I'm I'm hoping that that influences other teams. Um, there isn't a guarantee uh, because there's always going to be people that kind of um, make decisions even subconsciously and, and not by merit. But it would be pretty cool if this started a change in the league. Well, and, and to that end, I always think it's a copycat league, right? So my hope is that when people see success from diversity in a staff, they'll try to copy that. Now, it did lead to an awkward moment last night after the Super Bowl as the postgame press conferences were going on, and Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator for Tampa Bay, was asked a question by a reporter. But the problem is that reporter thought that he the the reporter thought they were talking to Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator. And it, <laughs> they talked about this actually on HQ today. They played the sound and Bomani had the best that's the sound I think we have. Bomani had the best line about it. Here's here's how it went on HQ today. Going into the game, what was your number one goal on the defensive side to to shut Mahomes down, shut that high powered offensive down? What was your guys' number one goal going into that game? <laughs> You got the wrong guy. I think you got the wrong guy. (laughs) (laughs) I had nothing to do with that. That was Todd. (laughs) They don't even look alike. They just have similar skin tone. That is all it is. But shout out to Bruce Arian for putting together a staff where somebody can get their black people mixed up. Such a good line. Oh, but it's so true. Like, what other step is there where you could get the black offensive coordinator mixed up with the black defensive coordinator, even though they do look nothing alike? And I am horrified for that reporter, especially since it was the first question. Dude sat down, fist pumping and smoking a cigar, and the first question he gets is asked of somebody that he isn't. I mean, that moment. And Byron Leftwich, by the way, absolutely deserves a, a round of applause for handling <laughs> right. it so professionally in that moment. And we've, you know, we have at times laughed because I think that's all you can do when some of our colleagues have uh, the, the the running joke for years, like Adnan and, and guys like that were always saying that they were always lumped together. Everybody thinks that one is all of them, right? right. Like every brown or black uh, commentator at some point has been called a different name yeah. at this point. And for a while I was Michelle of- Beadle and Ramona Shelburne on the radio, so... Really it's good. Yeah, I got yelled at a lot. And I'm like, I'm not on today. I'm not not on the air right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 we laugh because that's all you can do, you know. And uh, at some point, that that's what Brian Byron Leftwich did that I think was really incredible in the moment. He didn't uh, he didn't handle it the way some would have, but it is a testament to Bruce Arian's staff and also a reminder that more diversity is continually needed in the way staffs are built. Yeah, I'm just hoping. I mean, I played that in part because. I do hope that it does change the way people see things, but there are always going to be people that make you doubt progress, evolution, one of them being that reporter not knowing the coach that they must have just introduced since, again, that was the first question that was asked. Um, But, yeah, I I hope that one of the big picture takeaways from this game is how we look at that coaching staff and what it can do for other teams. I also think one of the big picture takeaways is what I talked about with you – 
Remember, I've started to do this. I've been in the business and doing this long enough that I've started to keep tabs on when we're all saying the same thing. Oftentimes, it doesn't go the way we're saying, right? Um, and, and that kind of feels like what happened with Mahomes. There, it was it was inevitable, right? He was going to win this, and then probably eight more. And their weapons are too good, and their offense is too great, and Andy Reid is too smart, and they got their butts beat. Now that doesn't mean that they can't come back and win again. It's just not as easy as we all were making it out to be. And it's not a given that Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to put together a run like Brady. The reason Brady is so remarkable is because nobody's done this. And I think we're all so ready to just hand Patrick Mahomes six or seven more Super Bowls. It's not guaranteed. Yeah, well, I, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I am curious to see how it maintains over time, though. I mean, I think we saw the the Chiefs absolutely fall apart. How they rebound from this and how everybody game plans for them now that they've seen this will be one of the biggest questions of the offseason that we'll spend all summer talking about. Uh, we're just getting rolling, obviously, as we get you caught up on everything from the Super Bowl. Coming up, the atmosphere in Tampa after the Big Bucks win. What was it actually like when you win the Super Bowl in your hometown and you're used to the party scene? Well, we've got a little bit of insight, and we'll give you some of our past experience next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We'll get back to the Super Bowl talk and some of your predictions. We said we'd uh, give you a shout-out there, but before we get to it, while you were getting ready for the Super Bowl, you may have missed some amazing NBA action. The Monday Roundup brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone had an epic matchup on Saturday between the Warriors and the Mavs. And this one was actually, as much as we've been talking about officiating, officiating a big moment in this one, Sarah. The refs admit uh, at this point that they missed a last-minute call that hurt the Warriors. The two-minute report shows the ball bounced off of Porzingis with about 49 seconds left. Should have been a Dallas turnover, which would have given the Warriors the ball down by four. Instead, the Mavs keep it. Luka nails a game-sealing three-pointer. Gives Dallas a seven-point lead. Kerr said he wanted uh, to challenge the play but was unable to initiate a review under the NBA's rules because it wasn't called on the floor. So officials uh, sort of marred this, but it was an epic performance by Curry and uh, obviously by Luka. Yeah, it's a big win for the Mavs that need some of these wins, need to start stringing some of them together after their terrible start. And on the opposite side, honestly, you know, it's hard to say what you could expect from the Warriors as soon as Clay Thompson got hurt, but at least we're getting to see peak Curry. Maybe not the dynastic run that they had before, but to come off of injury and be putting up 57-point games and do the things that we love with the shrugs and the the swag um, makes basketball more fun. So uh, my focus on the Warriors is just trying to enjoy Curry and not getting disappointed by their defensive lapses and the ways that maybe they are underperforming compared to my expectations um, because that's 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 all I can hope for right now uh, as far as the Warriors' success goes. Well, the Mavs win the game 134-132, and again, it was a huge night. Uh, obviously, Luka big, but then, as you mentioned, Steph, 57 points. I mean, my God, uh, a lot of fun to watch. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the Super Bowl over the weekend. We asked you guys to make your predictions. Some of them were actually a little close. I mean, uh, Mark Capaccio said... Tampa, Tampa wins by 16. Remember this. It's a bold thing when you say remember this afterwards. But when you're right, I mean, they won by more than 16. So, yeah. uh, I kind of laughed on that. at that one. And he was a lot more right than our our predictions were. Oh, um, yeah, that is true. I mean, this one's 100% spot on every year at Buckeye in Virginia. People will complain about the halftime show. Yeah, that checks out. 
every time. Uh, we had two near right guys at that Chris Palmer and at Drew Sko 7,038091. Fat guy touchdown and alignment scores a touchdown. We're both. That was so close. How frustrated would you be if you almost got to be fat guy touchdown and it just slipped through your hands? How many betters right there were just throwing their phones yeah. against the wall, thinking that they had it because it was there for him. Uh, he just uh, he just drops the uh, he drops the pass in the end zone. Tio Nunn says Mahomes breaks out the behind the back pass they've been working on for years. It'll be behind the line of scrimmage, but still behind the back pass completed in the Super Bowl. I, he didn't quite get there, but we did like have a Superman pass where he's basically we got as close. I mean, to yeah. a wild pass the likes of which we never have and likely never will see again. We got as close to that as you could probably get uh, at Angry Bears FDM. Uh, shout out one of our favorite listeners and was in the uh, Spain and Fitz Fantasy League. Uh, he was wrong on some and right on others. He said Mahomes will have 40-plus attempts, which he did, which was one of the bets that I cashed in on. Brady gets sacked three-plus times. No, just the once. And that was one of the wildest things about this game is how little how how little they were able to actually get any pressure on Brady. Andy Reeds has seconds of post-game meal. That's probably a given. And Bruce Arians' face turns red. That checks out. Uh, positively and with enthusiasm, but still red. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I like that. And uh, Mr. 8142, I mean, that's spot on. Tom Brady, Super Bowl MVP. Yeah. I mean, there you go. I mean, Mr. 8142 doing a better job than all of us. And somehow at Wisnowski, wardrobe malfunction. Player, media, performer, doesn't matter. Could be dropped drawers a la Steve Lyons or celebratory defrocking like Brandy Chastain. You know what? It was both. Doffed shirt, just like Brandy. Dropped drawers, just like Steve. And it was the streaker. Uh, it was the streaker. You saw it coming. Yeah, that is. that is. It's just a reminder that maybe we should listen to our, our listeners, our listeners yeah. more. Yeah. They, they you got a, a couple job. things right, though, to be fair. You were way off on how the game would go, and you were way off on the score, and you were way off on who would win. But you did predict that the Bucks would have more sacks than the Chiefs, which they did. And you did predict that the Bucks would have more rushing yards than the Chiefs, which you did. Uh, both of those predictions were more right than mine, and the rest of them we agreed on, and we were bad wrong. <laughs> we were really, okay, well, we were way off. Um, and then Gerald McCoy, Derek Brooks, Deion Dawkins, and Pat Donovan all picked the Bucks when we had our celeb pickers. So shout out to those guys for believing in Tampa Bay. Uh, not all right by the score. I don't know a single. I would love Fitz to unearth somebody who had the Bucks. Well, well, I don't even remember the final score. What was it like, thirty-six to nine? Thirty-one to nine. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Sal think Pell told us last that. night. Uh, Sal Pell said that on NFL matchup, he picked the Bucks to win big. I don't have the proof of it, but he's Sal Pell. <laughs> if he says it, that's good enough for me. Now, obviously, when you win the Super Bowl, Sarah, you have this concept of like these massive after parties that everybody goes to. I always think of Seth Wickersham's article uh, where he, he was hanging out with. Brady afterwards and you know the Lombardi was there and Brady's having a cigar and like it's four in the morning and everything's sort of calmed down and you think about that chaos and last night all I kept thinking is like what's he go home to Giselle and have like in my mind's eye (laughs) he's got like the kids are hanging out and Pitbull's doing karaoke in the living room like six feet away wearing a mask still but giving you like a full (laughs) Pitbull karaoke performance like that's about the only after party I can imagine we did at least find out earlier in the show that there was some action right yeah, Migos and Luda at the aquarium, according to assistant defensive line coach Lori Locust, who joined us earlier. So there was a party. She said mostly masked, mostly outdoors. So that's good. Um, I, I mentioned this to when we were doing story time for the Super Bowl all week. I wanted to share and play the sound from that Super Bowl 
um, after party that I went to for the Chiefs last year because Pitbull came out. And, you know, Pitbull is a performer, okay? Whether you like his music or not, he throws down. And uh, it was entertaining, but his introduction video is going to be one of the funniest things I've ever seen, no matter how long I live. Like, it was it was Anthony, what's that guy's name? Tony Robbins, the, the like, motivational, oh God, the speaker, motivational guy. speaker guy. Okay. So that's the introduction to him coming on the stage. It looks like Star Wars. It's got a like a, a galaxy scene, and the words just go across the screen: history, collaborator, mastermind, genius, pitbull, and then it's Tony Robbins doing a voiceover of all of the things that he overcame in his life. It sounded like a pyramid scheme combined with a Saturday Night Live sketch for a fake music festival. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Did you sign up for the whatever they were selling at the end? Yeah, for sure. I actually have thousands of dollars of face creams that you can only get through me if you're interested. Uh, I will tell you two quick things. One, we played the Pitbull New Year's Eve show years ago when I was with the band Perry. And he actually, incredibly nice guy. And you're right, uh, puts on a heck of a show. Like, he is a performer. I don't care whether anybody likes his music. The the guy, like, I could watch an hour of him perform because it's fun to watch him. And when you talk about awkward show intros, years ago when I was touring, like, Taylor Swift had just gotten her start, and she was one of the opening acts in this Fort Loramie, Ohio, big festival. And her dad was standing stage with the mic, and he's doing, like, she's the first artist to write every show. Like, he was doing the voiceover (laughs) standing. We were all looking, and we're like, this is the dorkiest thing like, I've ever seen. We can see you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good. Yeah. Well, speaking of good, Bruce Arians not good. He's great. Obviously, he's a Super Bowl champion, and he's going to be on Freddie and Fitzsimmons wow. tonight at nine thirty Eastern. You do not want to miss That's that. They always bring the hit, uh, the, the heat. I heat? should say. I can't even. Yeah. Well, close they're ahead. You're ahead. It's been a day. This Thanks is for Spain and Fitz. Thanks Bye. for hanging. Out. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.